Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So goes the reporting that the Biden family is very unhappy, specifically Joe and Jill, sorry, Dr. Jill Biden. They're upset by poll, by the poor poll numbers. This is a story over at Fox, and I, you never know what's true, but, but, but something to, to be said for the fact that Joe Biden cannot handle bad news at all, and He's always been this um, grouchy, angry, nasty, nasty guy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And we should be clear that he is a grouchy, nasty guy. Um, this goes to a report through the Washington Post that after Thanksgiving, and you know, they pardon the turkeys because, I don't know, a turkey needs to be pardoned or something. He delivered stern words for the small group assembled. His poll numbers were unacceptably low, and he wanted to know what his team and his campaign were doing about it. Complained that the economic message had done little to move the ball, even as the economy was growing and unemployment was falling. He wants to know why he's doing so poorly. Now, I must make an assumption that candidates look at their team and ask why they rarely look at themselves. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the, that's the, 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 the name of the show. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of it. Um, it seems odd that one cannot look at oneself. You don't notice that they're just not that into you? You don't notice that they just don't want to be around you? They, you, you haven't noticed that, you know, you're the issue? I don't think the Bidens have ever noticed that they're the issue, but, but why should they have noticed? Look at how being a Biden has paid off. Look at what they've been able to build. When I say build, steal, cajole, swindle, how they've been able to sell the family name, etc. And and look, a guy who quite literally has no accomplishments and has never been right about anything foreign policy-wise in his career as president. Doesn't matter how he got there, there he is, signing things. He's got the parking spot. He is what he is. He can't believe it. Look, you, you told me the midterms was going to be a giant red wave. It was a trickle. I survived that. You keep telling me how I'm going to fail. I keep surviving. How come nobody believes in me? Isn't that a really good question? How come nobody believes in him? And how can Joe Biden not recognize that the reason nobody believes in you is because they're looking right at you? They're looking directly at you, Joe Biden. They see you. And what they see isn't good. You are old, feeble, incapable, and you're mean. Why in the world 
would people be attracted to such a thing? You think they're attracted to your Thanksgiving message? This ridiculous dance troupe engaged in this ridiculous rendition of the Nutcracker? A Thanksgiving message, I'm sorry, a Christmas message gets delivered to people who, I, I, don't, I don't know, believe in Christmas, which is whom? None of the people who back you, because the people who back you are these progressive ideologues who don't believe in anything. They're totally dead inside. Some people would argue they're, they're godless, right? Maybe that's the, the argument. I would argue they're soulless. Everything is ideology and nothing else exists because I could argue there are plenty of people who may not believe in God or may not believe in organized religion, may not celebrate Christmas, who have a soul. These are different things. These progressives don't have a soul. And you say to me, Tony, that is just the kind of talk that the left does. I'm watching. You watch how these things work. You watch how these people act. You see, if you don't like the speaker, Mike Johnson, because he's too religious, well, the, you just think that religion is too much of a part of his life. I am saying that the progressive uh, uh, movement in America is not only no religion, but it is ideology over everything. And that ideology is bitter and ugly, and it comes out as bitter and ugly. Constantly and consistently. And that's how it puts itself and positions itself to Americans. And Joe Biden is at the spear of that because he was willing to give up anything he might have had once upon a time as a soul when, of course, he wasn't uh, trying to engage in a high-tech lynching of, of Clarence Thomas or he wasn't on the side of people who, oh, what did, what did uh, Kamala Harris accuse Biden of? Oh, that's right. Biggest segregationist, right? And when he wasn't doing those things, maybe one time Biden had a soul. Where is it now? One must be able to look at oneself and ask, what is it that I am doing? What is it that I am engaged in? I will tell you that, that you know not everybody's a father, which is completely uh, uh, fine. Uh, I, I can tell you that that I do this a lot lately, though, more than ever, as, as my kids ha have gotten older. What am I? What am I doing as a dad? Am I doing it right? I all the time, and it's it's not with with anger. It's a how do I make sure that I am providing for my kids what they need now, now that they are are older, not not yet out of the house or anything like that. It will come before you know it. Uh, but but how, how, am I, how am I engaging with them? How, am, am I recognizing where they are? Recognizing where I am? And recognizing that it's certainly different. And how is it different? And sometimes I have to make the decision on how it's different. And how I have to change how I interact with them so they recognize that they are seen differently and they might need to start seeing themselves differently. Am I, I don't know if I'm the only one. I, I do not know if I'm the only guy who does that. But, but follow it just as a, uh, tell me if you agree or disagree on, on the Twitter X at Tony Couch or Tony at TonyCouch.com. Uh, I have to recognize where they're at 
and what it is they need so they can grow up to be better people. And I need to change how I interact with them so they can start recognizing how they need to change themselves. Okay, so now this relationship has changed. Okay, this means this, and this is a, a good thing. Or it might be scary, but this is this is where we're going, and help them grow in, in 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 that direction. But I don't think there's any way to do that w- w- without taking a look at, at the self. What is it that you're doing, and and how is it? What is it that you're providing? What is it that you want to provide? And therefore, how do you provide it? And therefore, what you might need to change in order to do so. Do I think for a second Joe Biden does any of that? No, he relies on the idea that why don't these people know that the economy is great? Uh, Maybe, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe it's not great. Well, unemployment is going down. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean it's going down? If there are less people in the workforce, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going down. This is the second time I have seen a story like this. That the reaction from Wall Street to the Fed's announcement about no rate hikes is ridiculous. This is Austin Goolsby, who I think he was part of Obama's team. He is now the Fed uh, of the president of the Chicago Federal Reserve. And he's like, the reaction to the central bank, we're talking about Europe, didn't make any sense. It's not what you say or what the chair says. It's what, it's what did they hear and what did they want to hear? I was, he goes, I was confused a bit. Was the market just imputing, here's what we want them to be saying? And the answer is Yes. The answer is clearly that they wanted to hear that there were going to be rate cuts. Not that there were rate cuts, but that there were going to be rate cuts. The Federal Reserve hinting at three rate cuts in 2024. What the hell does hinting matter? You know what matters? Rate cuts. Hinting at a raise doesn't mean anything to the employee. You know what matters? The raise. Hinting doesn't matter. Hinting... Hinting is what kind of strings you along. And hinting can lead to some really, really bad blood. Oh, they kept teasing, they kept hinting, but it never came. No, what matters is that someone wrote the check. What matters is someone gave you the recognition. Whatever that case may be. Hinting at, 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 uh, at rate decreases? Nonsense. The central bank... The European Central Bank. You guys got to forgive me. I'm, I'm, I, I feel great. It's just this cough, and from what I'm told, it's just going to linger. It's just going to be there. It's just going to be a pain in the butt, and I apologize for it. The European Central Bank did not say that everything is great. They didn't come anywhere close to that. They said everything's on the table. And they're they're still in recession over there. No, they didn't say that part, but they are still in recession. Why would anybody think that happy days are here again and everybody should be smiling? These sober voices 
Not that I always agree with everything they say. These sober voices are speaking. What are you all so excited about? Why is everybody cheering uh, these markets like somehow it makes sense? By the way, the Dow is up 19. The NASDAQ is up 88 right now. The same thing can be said, Joe Biden, of you. Because you proclaim it, it's true. Your polling numbers are bad because you are a bad candidate. Trump beats you in the head-to-head. DeSantis beats you in most head-to-heads. Nikki Haley beats you in every head-to-head under the sun. Why do you think that is? Maybe if you looked at yourself and you were honest with yourself, you'd realize it's you. You don't present well. No one believes you, and people don't feel that things are better. You could scream at your team all you want, but facts are facts. You aren't that cool in the eyes of the people. doesn't matter how many aviators you try on. And absolutely, if I'm being asked, the odds are 50-50, and I'd say more so, that Democrats will, at the convention, switch their candidate. I mean, at this rate. I mean, I, I always thought it was too late, but it's as, as you guys reminded, it's a Democratic Party. They'll do whatever they want, and they'll do it at the convention because at this rate, how do they not? I'm Tony Katz. There's something in the White House called the Doomsday Book. And for the first time, DHS gave authorization for me to mention this publicly. Uh, and the fact that there are concerns that that book, which is supposed to be used to protect the country in instances of armed foreign invasion or rebellion, it's the president's most extraordinary powers could be picked up by Trump and used for domestic political purposes. He could invoke powers we've never heard a president of the United States invoke, potentially to shut down companies or turn off the Internet or deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil. That's right. If Trump is reelected, he's going to turn off the Internet. The guy who loves to post is going to turn off the Internet. Good Lord. This it's it's porn at this case. It is it is fear porn, and it's the only way uh, the the progressives are moving. And this is Jen Psaki's show talking to Miles Taylor, who I believe is the guy who wrote that letter uh, anonymous or or whatever it was. And 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 now he was part of the the Trump team. I'm supposed to believe him? I've seen uh, members of 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 leadership abuse power. I'm watching it right now. Trump's going to shut off the internet. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. The issue is the obsession. And I was, this was uh, Nikki Haley speaking in New Hampshire, talking to John Carl of ABC's This Week. And I was, I was kind of happy to hear it right until I think Nikki Haley made a really, really big mistake. I mean, he's running on retribution. He wants to go out and he talks about annihilating his enemies and using the criminal justice system to do so. What, what, do, you, what do you think of that? You guys are exhausting. You're exhausting in your obsession with him. The thing is, 
the normal people aren't obsessed with Trump like you guys are. The normal people care about the fact that they can't afford things. They feel like their freedoms are being taken away. They think government's too big. I know y'all want to talk about every single word he says and every single tweet he does. That's exactly why we need a new generational leader. Because people don't want to hear about every word a person says or every tweet. They want to know how you fought for them that day. And they want to know how their life is going to be different. And life would be a whole lot different if the media would stop this obsession with Trump. She's 100% correct. That answer works. That works for her big people across the spectrum. Believe it. Now, John Carl doesn't stop. What's interesting is that in this back and forth, Nikki Haley is sitting next to John uh, John Sununu, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. She got his endorsement. New Hampshire is a big part of her push uh, into South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. But when he's talking... It doesn't come across like he should even be there. Listen. I mean, I was just asking you about his central campaign theme, which is I want, you know, I am your retribution. And he's winning in the polls. That's why I'm asking. Well, it's if I could, you know, one I'm thing, asking about the yeah. leading candidate. That you're he does everything against. he can not to talk about issues. Yeah. He almost acts like he wasn't there, right? Yeah. He doesn't want to talk about building the wall and securing the southern border because he didn't do it. He doesn't want to talk about fiscal responsibility because he made a hard promise that he would do it in that debate. I'm going to be the most fiscally responsible president this country's ever seen, he said. He balanced started, the budget. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even try to balance the budget. And, you know, the thing that for someone in New Hampshire where, you know, it's not about big government, we love the idea that he was going to drain the swamp. That was an amazing opportunity. Didn't even try. I mean, literally didn't even try. So if he talks about those issues, he has to kind of own those failures. So he's always going to talk about retribution and just kind of try to spur something up. Why is the presidential candidate Nikki Haley letting this man speak for her? Absolutely. And the way she's looking at him and her eyes are kind of dark, it's bad. I mean, she tries to clean it up at the end. If you want to talk about Trump, if you really want to talk about Trump, why don't you go ask him if he's going to get on a debate stage in Iowa where I was voting? Why don't you go ask him if he's going to get on a debate stage in New Hampshire where Granite Staters are voting? That's what you should be asking as the media, not asking about what he happened to say today. If Sununu was auditioning for that vice presidential role, he did not get it. But this, you, you can call me sexist, I'll sleep fine. But it is absolutely something people like Nikki Haley have to look out for. You cannot be overwhelmed by the guy next to you, who, by the way, is a foot taller. He looks like a giant next to her. He is missing an axe and something to chop down. Why are you letting him answer? Why is he even there in the conversation? Why are you agreeing to that? Were you testing out the running mate thing? Because it didn't look good. By the way, you know how many votes Chris Sununu gets you nationwide? Zero. And I'm not even opposed to Chris Sununu as a governor. I'm just saying as a, as a matter of course. I don't think Sununu gets you a coalition. I, do, I don't, actually. It'll be an interesting back and forth. Who's the, who's the VP for Haley? I know. I know. Nobody's thinking like that at all. I get it. I get it. Yes, I, you, do. you stop it. I understand. 
Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. So it's official, the AFC South is a big mess. It's a cluster that the Indianapolis Colts could win because, well, the Jacksonville Jaguars just got embarrassed by the Baltimore Ravens. The problem is the Houston Texans were able to pull it out in overtime against the Tennessee Titans, who are dressed up like the Houston Oilers, but that's not important right now. What's important is that you've got three teams on top of the AFC South at 8-6, and six, and it may all come down to Indianapolis Texans right there at Lucas Oil Stadium in a couple of weeks. Tony Katz, good to be with you, Tony Katz, today. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075, the fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's start with this Colts game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 30-13, to 30 unanswered points. They do it with Pittman getting injured. They do it without Zach Moss and without Jonathan Taylor. Talk to me about this game and how you saw it. Incredibly impressive, and it started out like so many of those games against the Steelers of the past eight that have resulted in losses, and then all of a sudden, you saw the Colts muscle up. I think maybe started with uh, the play EJ Speed made on Najee Harris, but you saw this team close, Tony, in a fashion in which we rarely see around here, and that is on that offensive line muscle up and run the football. And granted, there was no Jonathan Taylor. Tony, we talked about Zach Moss last week, did we not? There was no Zach Moss. I mean, we're talking about uh, Trey Sermon. We're talking about Tyler Goodson. It was an incredible effort offensively with the line and with the running game. And I thought Gardner Minshew, if this wasn't his best game of all time, it has to be near the top. I thought he handled things incredibly. Again, after that slow start that they had and getting down a couple of scores, they hung in, took it back, and then closed it out with a lot of muscle along that offensive line. It was really impressive, and the environment was incredible at Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, absolutely incredible and fun. Now let's talk about Gardner Minshew because the line doesn't change. Anytime you're talking about Gardner Minshew, 18 for 28, 215 yards, right? That is basically what you're going uh, to, to get. The story here is three touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles. That's the story with Minshew here. No, no, no question about it, too. And you think about who he's hanging in there with. Michael Pittman Jr. goes out with that dirty hit. Um, you know, you had Alec Pierce in there. Uh, Montgomery was in there as well. Mo Alley Cox made a play. I mean, he was he was working with guys that you know you don't always count count on. He counts on Michael Pittman Jr. not having that for a period in the game was was difficult for him, I'm sure. But man, I I thought he was great decision making wise. And Tony, we talked about this. If they can hang in, and he makes good decisions, and if Shane Steichen puts him in position to make good decisions with the play calling, good things can happen. And you see now down the stretch, you get Atlanta, who looks like a joke right now. You get the Raiders after that, who look like a joke right now. And then the biggest game of the year and the biggest game in a long time is going to be that final one against Houston. We're getting way ahead of ourselves, but that's probably the one where it's going to be make or break 
for this team. But you saw a must-win on Saturday night in their place. They got down early. It was impressive how they came back, got the lead, and then salted that away. And we're going to get to schedule stuff in just a moment. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. You cannot avoid talking about the running game. Zach Moss with the injury. Jonathan Taylor wasn't in the game. So Trey Sermon, who they brought in earlier in the season, 17 carries for 88 yards. Tyler Goodson, who nobody knows anything about, 11 carries for 69 yards. If you add in Zach Moss's 13 yards, this team ran for 170 yards. The entire Pittsburgh rushing offense was 74 yards. Huge, huge day and exactly what is necessary to allow Gardner Minshew not to feel pressure so he can just go throw the ball and score. Yeah, and the former third-round pick and Trey Sermon, you're right. But I think the offensive line, and we talked about that too. If you go back to last week, it just kind of seemed like that Zach Moss was met from the time he was handed the ball and had no room to work. And, you know, I thought it was Bernard Ryman's worst game as a pro for the Colts last week. But all that aside, I thought that offensive line played well. They played so well from the point of attack, which means it seemed like every single time, Tony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that once the ball was handed off again to Sermon or Goodson, that they had a running start without contact. They had two or three or four yards sometimes without contact. That was offensive line dominance. And, you know, it's funny you look back on it. Our major concern was T.J. Watt and then Highsmith coming off the edge. And then Watt got active early. He was wrecking some game early. Kind of like we saw Miles Garrett earlier this season for the Browns. And then not so much. And then they started running the football. And he was as non-factor as T.J. Watt can get. And, you know, the defense made some plays as well, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. It was just – it was a game in which was necessary. It was a game that was necessary against the Steelers. And it was a must-win situation. And I thought that second half was as impressive a brand of football as we've seen out of the Colts in a while. Now let's take a look at schedule here. Because as you mentioned, Indianapolis – gets what can be described as the easy game. You're talking about a team, the Atlanta Falcons, that lost to the now 2-12 and Carolina Panthers. Uh, Indy going down to Atlanta. That's a 1 o'clock kick right now there against the Falcons. But the Texans yeah. have to take on Cleveland at home, and Jacksonville has to travel to Tampa Bay, where uh, Baker Mayfield, who everybody left for dead, four touchdowns, 381 yards, was a st- absolute stud uh, yesterday. The Colts have every opportunity, and I want you to break down these games for me, JMV. The Colts yeah. have every opportunity to walk away from next week owning the AFC South and just having to keep it in their pocket. Tony, you're 100% accurate on this. Let's start with what you made the point about Tampa Bay. They're working to win now the NFC South. So, Obviously, when I mean, you talk about the scheduling they have with you know Colts competitors down the stretch, that's a big deal. Um, I, I think about it in terms of this. With Houston and with Jacksonville, you now have two quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that are in concussion protocol. Late in that game last night against the Ravens, or I checked that, I'm sorry, after the game, uh, it was announced by Doug Peterson, the Jaguars head coach, that you now see Trevor Lawrence going into concussion protocol. The Ravens, mind you, look like an absolute mess. But now he goes into concussion protocol. 
C.J. Stroud didn't play yesterday. Impressive enough, I guess, in Nashville. You mentioned the old Oilers uniforms in Nashville. They get a 54-yarder in overtime that was the winner in Case Keenum was their quarterback. But we'll find out if C.J. Stroud is going to come back. And then you had the Colts against the team that lost to Carolina yesterday. Absolute joke was Atlanta. You get that coming up on Christmas Eve. Then you get a backup quarterback and Aiden O'Connell and whatever is going to be left of the Raiders after that. And then that mammoth game against the Houston Texans right there. So there is every bit, even if you don't own the tiebreaker, which they don't right now with the Jaguars, there's every bit of an opportunity, especially if you take care of your business, to win this division. And Tony Gulp have a playoff home game. That's something we can consider. You now see a path to a playoff home game for the Colts that we did not at all necessarily predict. That's nutty, and I won't. I won't. I won't do it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to get uh, close uh, to it. But I'm. I'm looking at these these schedules here, and I'm looking at, at what takes place. Jacksonville. When you take a look at their schedule, the Buccaneers. Excuse me. Still that cough. The Buccaneers. And then the Panthers, and then the Titans. So they have a chance here to still do well towards the end of, of this season. I don't know if the Titans are going to be playing for pride or, or, or what have you. When you take a look at the Houston Texans, well, then it gets a little more interesting because the Houston Texans, they are uh, about to play the Browns, then the Titans, again, for pride, and then us. That January 7th game is absolutely everything. So both of those teams have two games that are involved uh, in, in, in the division. When you talk about the Colts, as you said, the Falcons, the Raiders, which I'm not like you, man. Uh, the, the, the Raiders uh, under Antonio Pierce and the coach change and getting rid of Josh McDaniel, which clearly makes everybody happy. Um, they're, they, they're playing like at least they, they want to try. They're playing with some effort. Aiden Connell is, is throwing uh, the ball. I think that is a concern before you get to a Texans team where D'Amico Ryan, the head coach, clearly has to be up there with Dan Campbell and some others for coach of the year. Yeah, hey, Tony, we've talked about this, too. What is this season for the Colts and its fans? It's a roller coaster ride. You know, the, the week prior in Cincinnati, you're going down on that roller coaster. It's making you want to throw up. It was so bad. That's how bad that ride was. And then you go to Saturday night, and it's a fantastic throw ride on this roller coaster. So, now this team is not nearly good enough to just blankly look at the schedule and a team like Atlanta or a team like the Raiders and say, yeah, you know what, we're absolutely going to win this. But you do like your chances. You like your chances with the schedule that remains. And that has been, I think, the biggest thing that has played into this is the schedule. The Colts have just been doing their part. Saturday, they did their part. And that's what they're going to have to continue to do. But you can't overlook anybody because, frankly, this Colts team, even with the euphoria a Saturday night, this Colts team's not nearly good enough to do anything like that. you got to stay focused, even against teams like Atlanta that lost to the one-win Carolina Panthers yesterday. you got to make sure you take care of that business in the next three weeks or the next two weeks, and then you get Houston here and obviously one of the bigger games we've seen around here in a long time. Now, I, if that game's not sold out by the end of the day, I won't even believe it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just yeah. who knew when that was on the schedule? It, it's very possible that the AFC South – 
will come down to that. It's very possible that'll be a win and in conversation. And and uh, uh, it's happening right here in Indianapolis, which which makes me happy. Let me uh, let me move you over to the Pacers really quick here. Uh, as you stated, after losing uh, the NBA Cup to to the Lakers, you, you said uh, they they gotta beat uh, the hapless Detroit Pistons. They have to, otherwise there's real problems. Well, they do. They beat uh, the Detroit Pistons in that game, one thirty one to one twenty three, and then they have gotten their butts kicked. Three nights in a row. The loss to Milwaukee, where it was the fight over the game ball, 141-26. The loss to the Wizards, 137-123. And then over the weekend, the loss to the Timberwolves, 127-109. to What's wrong with this Pacers team? I'm not going to believe in them, honestly. Um, even with that Vegas thing, I'm not going to believe in them until they stop losing to teams like Washington. Like it's it's funny, Tony. You look back at last Wednesday, and then all that took place. They got took a beating, sixty four for Giannis. They lose by fourteen in Milwaukee. All right, Milwaukee obviously had them in the crosshairs. Uh, they were mad. They were focused. You saw what happened after the game too. Milwaukee and Giannis went nuts about the game ball. And I thought, you know what? That's great, Tony, because now this Pacer team means something to one of the elite teams in the NBA. All right, fine. You get beat, but whatever. And then you go to a three-win Washington team on Friday, and basically from midway through the second quarter on, you're absolute junk. You're a joke. Absolute joke, which led. They had uh, plane problems, had to stay in D.C., had to fly out the morning of, got to Minnesota the afternoon. That's the, the best team in the Western Conference. Gave them a beating without Tyrese Halliburton with a uh, knee contusion, I believe, as this situation was going to play a role tonight. That that's not egregious. Friday night is, and they've got four other stinking games. Those four are at home with Charlotte, with Chicago, with the Blazers, with Toronto that they lost and they shouldn't lose. They are piling up ridiculous. You cannot lose losses. And then you're going to approach January with this Pacer schedule getting incredibly tough. They are putting themselves in a bad position. Thus, you look at them right now after this weekend as pretenders in the Eastern Conference, and that's unfortunate because they had built so much goodwill, but that's how easily you can take it away when you lose games like you did in Washington on Friday night. And as we discussed, this was the fear of uh, the, the tournament. You're going to do really yep. well. Everyone's going to be really excited. You're going to have a lot of energy, and then it's all going to crater afterwards because you put all your emphasis on that. I said it. This was the fear, and and this is what's playing out. But you've got uh, the Clippers. Uh, I think Clippers are tonight, yeah. And then uh, you've yeah. got Charlotte and Memphis uh, and Orlando, uh, one right after uh, another. Is this at least a good stretch of games for an opportunity? Well, I think the Clippers, I have to look. I thought they've won like six or seven games consecutively tonight, and, and Halliburton is a question mark, so that's not good. John Moran is back for maybe his second game after that start of the season suspension. From Memphis, they've stunk, but certainly they are stratospherically better with him there. That's not good. And the last time they played Orlando, they got run by what felt like 40 points at home. So, no, it's not really. It's a good time to look in the mirror and then ask yourself who you want to be and who you expect to be, not just what fans believe you to be after that trip to Vegas. So, yeah, you got three games coming up that should test a little bit of the pride factor for this Pacer team, and that begins later on tonight with or without Halliburton, which we'll find out, I guess, later on this afternoon. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. I appreciate you, man. More to get to 
I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Going from bad to worse for Anheuser-Busch, specifically the Bud Light stuff. And and I want to say for the record, I said it the other day and I'll say it again. This whole Kid Rock thing, oh, I'm, I'm not going to bother with Bud Light anymore. I don't want to destroy them. I want them to learn their lesson. Clearly, Kid Rock doesn't understand how lessons are learned. I got to assume he's got something coming to him from somewhere. Maybe it's a friendship with Dana White or what have you. I get Dana White from the UFC. He took Bud Light's money. He's going to try and help them rebuild. He's going to make a lot of money for the company. I get it. I understand it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I'm just saying that if you're going to sit there and literally shoot cans of Bud Light, you don't get to be the guy who says, okay, now I'm done. You mean when you were outraged, it was okay. Now you're not outraged? What what leader are you? Bud Light failed their audience. Bud Light hated their audience. And Bud Light hasn't learned a lesson. Especially not with you saying, oh, all's forgiven. Let them show they're serious about not lecturing to us, just serving us beer. Now, the Teamsters have authorized potential strikes at Anheuser-Busch. 5,000 Teamsters who work at 12 different Anheuser-Busch breweries voted to authorize a strike if a new contract does not happen. The The current contract ends February, the end of February 2024. So, you know, bad to worse. Me, I'm not going to be drinking a Bud Light anytime soon. Honestly, I don't know anybody else who is. Just because Dana White's taking their money doesn't mean the rest of us are taking their beer. This is Tony Katz today. Today.